May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our Messiah King. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> the Episcopal priest and author Fleming Rutledge shares that when she was growing up, her parents were conscientious Episcopalians who took Advent so seriously that they did not decorate their home with an ounce of Christmas cheer until Christmas Eve. Their home mirrored our church tradition that by and large saves Christmas carols and crush scenes for the night of Jesus's birth. As an adult, when Rutledge asked her parents why they were so adamant about the practice, her mother said that Christmas should come in a flash in a burst of transcendent light, as it did on that first Christmas. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, the prophet Isaiah proclaims. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, like the poor Jewish shepherds living in the fields, watching their flocks by night, on them light has shined. On them light shined when the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them when suddenly, seconds later, an entire flash mob of heavenly hosts appeared praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. Christmas comes in a flash. The Gospel of John doesn't tell the Christmas story, but it does sum up the incarnation with similar imagery of light. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth, the glory of the true light, who is close to the father's heart and has made him known. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. We have spent a good amount of time this Advent doing what the Advent season calls us to do, take, take an honest stock of the darkness, of the crises in our personal and collective lives, and to be honest, as John the Baptist was in prison, about the doubts we experience and the longings we still have. And now... On this Christmas Day, we are invited to stand with the shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night and be startled by the light. We are invited to stand in awe and recognize what has happened. For in a flash, the promise has become the gift. Jesus, the light of life, has burst into our dark world, has come near to us, to be with us, and to set us free from forces and powers, from circumstances that we could never free ourselves from. The birth of the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, begins God's kingdom on earth, for a child has been born for us, a son given to us, whose authority will grow continuously until there is endless peace a kingdom upheld with justice and righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. 
In an Advent devotional study a few weeks ago, a group of us discussed a theme that many hadn't associated with the season. The theme was the new thing, a phrase the prophet Isaiah proclaims elsewhere when God says through him, I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Walter Brueggemann, the author of the Advent book, helped our little group of readers consider if we were the kind of people who groan in the dark but expect nothing new. Or are we people who can be startled by the light, who can recognize the burst of transcendent power that breaks into our world and our lives to make all things new? Are we people who can live into the new reality given to us this day? Last Christmas, three years into our marriage, Thomas and I were opening the stockings we had prepared for each other. The general idea is that we don't go too crazy with one another at Christmas and instead only get small gifts that can be shoved into a stocking. Chocolates, candles, fancy socks, maybe a gift certificate for a nice dinner out. Toward the end of our gift giving, as I reached all the way down to the toe of mine, I pulled out a small blue box that I instantly recognized. In it was a thin rose gold band with tiny diamonds around it, a companion ring to the one I'd been wearing, first as an engagement ring, and now as my wedding band. Oh no, this is too much. I don't need this. Where did you get the money, was my first response. I then proceeded to rewrap the gift, placing decorative box within decorative box and tied the elaborate bow just right to be sent back in the exact same way that it came. My loving husband responded that it was just fine for us to return it if I didn't want it or felt I didn't need it. Maybe half an hour later, we were getting ready to go to Alon's bakery to get a morning pastry. As we were leaving, I said, well, maybe I should wear it to Alon's just for a minute to see how it feels. I unwrapped the present again, untied the bow, took the decorative box out of the decorative box, and placed the ring on my finger next to its twin. As we were standing in line outside the bakery, Thomas said, Hey, let me see that ring for a second. I think there's something written on the inside of the band. He had had the word novum engraved, the Latin word meaning new thing, the theological theme of our wedding. Thomas had gotten me the ring that Christmas to mark a major new development in our life, to celebrate that the promise was coming closer to fulfillment. That year, I had been accepted by the diocese as a postulant on my way to ordination, a longing fulfilled after decades of struggling with being a professor. And with this major step, Thomas and I were on the cusp of ending the long-distance part of our marriage. Needless to say, I kept the ring. <laughs> Are we people who can be startled by the light? Then in August, the promise became a gift again, this time in light so startling that with the shepherds, I couldn't help but receive it. My name was put forward as a candidate for the clergy position here, long before it seemed possible, a year before my ordination as a priest. In a flash, just as the semester was beginning, I was leaving my faculty position at McCormick Seminary 
and living into a new role as priest. The two major longings of my adult life, marriage with a kindred spirit and the opportunity to live out my vocation in full, took decades to be fulfilled. I wouldn't wish that length of waiting on anyone. And now, on the other side, I won't spiritualize it by turning it into a kind of lesson learned. I wish I hadn't experienced the pain that comes with that long of a wait. What I will say, what I now have experienced, is the great joy that can't help but be felt when deliverance finally comes, when for us, this day, a Savior is born. In today's reading, the psalmist responds to the good news of salvation by inviting the whole earth to sing to the Lord a new song. The heavens rejoice, the earth is glad, and even the trees shout for joy. In Isaiah, the good news of salvation is like the joy which comes with an abundant harvest that has escaped pestilence and famine. It is the joy of a people who have heard that the rod of their oppressor has been broken and the instruments of war used to control them are being thrown in the fire. The good news of salvation is like the joy of a mother who knows that pain lasts for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning as Mary's birth pangs gave way to new life. If the Christmas story and all the related scriptures tell us anything, it is this. Our life in Christ is intended to be full of joy. The shepherds in the Christmas story show us that sometimes the light comes to us in a flash, and sometimes we must set out to find the light. The shepherd's role in this unfolding story does not end with the glory of the angels singing. The angels send the shepherds on. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. When the angels left, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place. They set out on a journey to find Jesus, the light of life the light of the world. The shepherds teach us that sometimes in order to experience good news of great joy, we have to search for the one who identifies with the least of these, indeed who already became one of the least as a vulnerable babe in the manger. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, Jesus famously says in Matthew 25, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I tried this one Christmas to play the role of the shepherd in relation to incarcerated students I was teaching in a theology certificate program. I had already decided to spend Christmas here in Atlanta with The Open Door, a residential activist and worshiping community that I was a member of, instead of spending it that year with my extended family in Tennessee. And so I decided it would also be a good day to visit my students at Metro State Women's Prison, unsure but hopeful that my volunteer badge would get me in unannounced. 
As hokey as I knew it was, I wondered what the experience might hold if I went with intent on Christmas Day to find Jesus, the one who said, I was in prison and you visited me. As I suspected, the prison was understaffed, and so I didn't get any questions when I showed my badge. Once on the compound, I ran into one of my students who got me permission to enter their dorm, something I had never been able to do. The women were eager to show me where they live, not only to deepen my understanding of prison's harsh conditions, but even more so to host me in their space. A few of the students proudly showed me the Christmas tree they made from white trash bags with colorful candy wrappers tied on as ornaments, a symbol, they said, of the beauty that lies in people and things we throw away. I stayed for hours sitting on the staircase, visiting with one person after another, until, like the shepherds, I returned home, glorifying and praising God for my time with them. Even before we get to John's gospel and its teaching about the incarnation, we have the shepherds whose journey leads us deeper into the logic of the word made flesh. God comes near to us to be with us in solidarity with our joy, sorrow, and human need. And we are called in turn to be like the shepherds to draw near to each other, to be guest and host in each other's space, shepherd to holy family, parishioner to parishioner, adult to youth, visitor to prisoner. This is our calling, because in shared life together, under the rule of the Messiah born to us this day, there is joy. Amen.